So, um, as Dan said, I'd like to take my time in God's Word. We're in the book of Mark, and if you came eight months ago, um, we were probably in the book of Mark, so we're not going to leave it until we're done. But we are making our way through. We're going to finish up chapter 12 today. You've probably heard someone say, put your money where your mouth is, or money talks. You heard that one? The way we spend our money, just like the way we spend our time, shows what's really important to us. I can't remember how old I was when that thought dawned on me, when someone said, choose how you're going to spend your time. Because as a young man, I was running around trying to get everything done, and often the most important things were not at the top of the list. If we're just reacting to the world around us, reacting to what's happening, often we're going to miss what's most important. So the way we spend our time, just like the way we spend our money, should be thoughtful and it should always be putting God first. You probably can't read the little words on the screen, can you? Well, if you didn't know this about me, I had a career in corporate marketing before going into full-time ministry. So that makes me a little bit of a spreadsheet nerd. Um, Any other nerds out there that like this stuff? A few of you, maybe some of you online that are watching. Uh, But these charts show how Americans spend our time, how we spend our money. These are both 2021 um, updates from the U.S. government website. On the left for you, it says uh, time. And in a typical day, we spend nine hours sleeping. I'd like to be that person. Anybody (laughs) get nine hours of sleep? That would be great. (laughs) But this is an average, so uh, it's not necessarily just one person. The next big category, guess what it is? TV. Those of you that still watch TV instead of your screen on your phone, um, three hours watching TV, three hours working. Again, this is not a full-time person, but it's an average of people who don't work at all and, and people who work way too much. Three hours working. One hour eating. Who enjoys eating? Take your time, right? Chew it each 60 times before you swallow. 47 minutes driving around, getting from place to place. And if you are a soccer mom or have kids, you probably feel like you spend half of your day in the car trying to get your kids from place to place. 40 minutes of our average day is spent preparing the food that we eat and then cleaning it up. 36 minutes doing housework. Another 36 minutes making ourselves look good. And you look pretty good today, so thanks for taking that extra time this morning and looking good as you came out. Religious activity like prayer, reading the Bible, doesn't even fit onto the chart because that's about five minutes a day for an average person. So that's how we spend our time. Looking over at the right, how we spend our money. 34% of it is on, any guesses? Housing. 16% on transportation. 12% on food. 8% health care. 5% entertainment. Charitable giving is so small it didn't even show up on the chart. 
In fact, in 2021, only 56% of Americans donated anything to charitable organizations with an average gift of $574 of those who gave. Food banks were the highest group that received donations. And with some of the problems going on recently, um, we can see why that would be an issue. That's followed by giving to animal services, and that's tied with churches. So we give as much to animals as we do to our churches. Granted, as I said before, all of this is averaged out, but take a moment and think about your own life. Think about what this pie chart would look like if you were to map out an average week, how you spend your time, how much of it is scrolling on your phone. I know I sit there and think, why did I just waste however many minutes waiting for something good to happen in this video that never happens, right? They create those clickbait videos that just make you like, what's going to happen? And nothing happens. We just waste time scrolling on our phones. Maybe looking ahead on Amazon, what am I going to buy next? What do I need to add to my subscribe and save? Our time and our money are spent so much more on ourselves than on God and on others. But we heard Jesus just a few weeks back in the message say, the most important thing we can do is to glorify God, to bring honor and praise to him. And when we love him, we should also love others. Those were the most important of the commandments, to love God with everything and love others. And yet our time and our money don't reflect that. Key thought for this morning is this. We worship God most when we sacrificially love him and love others more than ourselves. If you're taking notes, that's something good to write down because I'm going to say it several times today. We worship God most when we sacrificially love him and love others more than ourselves. So we're continuing the series in Mark. It's called the crown and the cross, and Mark shows Jesus as a man of action, someone with a mission to accomplish. And he calls us, the readers, into that story and says, there are things that you need to do. If you're going to be a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be a person with a mission. You should have direction in your life, and you should be doing things as Jesus did them. He's giving us that example, how to follow him. Mark also through Jesus' teaching, shows us what God is like. We get to know God more intimately, know his character, and then we see it in action in his son, Jesus Christ. Because he said, if you've seen me, you have seen the Father. For people who want to know God and know what he's like, you have to study the life of Jesus Christ. And so that's why we're taking our time in the Gospel of Mark, wanting to know God better through his son, Jesus the first half of the book, the focus was on Jesus as the Messiah, the one worthy of wearing the crown. And then as he moves to Jerusalem, the second half of the book is all about the cross and Jesus going to the cross to sacrifice his own life, to give himself up for the sins of the world. It's been a few weeks since we were in Mark together. We had back to church Sunday. Uh, we had a guest speaker last week as we were celebrating Grace's wedding. And I thank you for giving us the opportunity to be away for that weekend. Uh, we celebrated another weekend yesterday, in case you're wondering why this beautiful backdrop is here. 
photo moment there. No one clicked. I didn't see flashing, <laughs> flashing cubes or anything. Uh, JC and Antonia were married yesterday, and it was absolutely beautiful ceremony. Those of you that were able to join us, thank you. You're going to be able to enjoy some of the coffee and cupcakes after the service uh, that they left for us this morning. So Jesus summarized the law with this. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God with all your strength, all your might, everything in your heart, soul, and mind, and love your neighbor. And today Jesus follows that up with a final warning, a final teaching before he goes to the cross. He warns about the hypocrisy, the pride of the religious leaders. And he makes an example of a widow's small gift to show what's the right way to worship. It's a contrast between the way the religious leaders fake worship God and the way this poor widow lovingly honored God with her small gift. And Mark is presenting that in a way for us to see that and make that contrast and say, do I want to be like one of these puffed up religious leaders who's just going through the motions, making sure everybody sees me drop my money in the offering plate? I want people to see me praying. I want people to see me serving. When I give an anonymous gift, I want to make sure people know that it was me giving anonymously. And Jesus says, that's not real worship. That person doesn't know God, doesn't love God, doesn't love the people around them. But this widow, giving her all, that's what it looks like. And that's the example I want you to follow. Jesus wasn't calling us to poverty, but he was making an example of someone who would give their all. So before we read in Mark chapter 12 today, let's bow our heads. Heavenly Father, thank you for this beautiful fall day. Thank you for the crisp, cool air. Thank you for bringing us together this morning so that we could lift up the name of Jesus Christ. We could remember his sacrifice in communion and we could celebrate with Ken and Joanne in Alfred becoming a believer, becoming part of the family and for the joy for them to know that they will see him in heaven. Lord, I thank you for your word and I pray that as we hear it this morning, our hearts would be tender, that you would help us tear down the walls that we put up to keep you out. The parts of our lives that we hold on to and we clutch and we don't want to give up, Lord, let us be generous as you are generous. Let us hear your word and be doers of your word. We thank you and praise you for giving us your word so that we can read it, we can learn more about you, we can know you as we see Jesus revealed in its pages. Thank you for all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Mark chapter 12, verses 38 to 44. We're going to finish up the chapter. And in his teaching, he said, Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense Make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came 
and put in two small copper coins, which makes a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly, I say to you, this poor widow has put more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live in. So we have three points this morning. The first one is beware the hypocrites. If you remember a few weeks back, the scribes were one of the three religious groups that made up the Sanhedrin. In Jesus' day, they were involved in teaching and in interpreting the law. So if you had a question about how to apply the law or a situation in your family, you would go to one of these scribes and you would pay him to help you with your legal situation because the law was God's law. So they're like lawyers. Everybody loves lawyers today. And if you're a lawyer today, I love you too. God does too. But lawyers are the brunt of many jokes. This group were kind of like the lawyers of the day. They interpreted the law, the teachings of God's word. They worked in the temple. They worked in the royal courts. They were like administrators. They were pretty high up in the temple. They had positions of honor. But rather than trusting the scribes to help people know and understand God's word, Jesus says, beware of them. He doesn't say, if you have a question, go to these guys. He says, look out. These are the last people you want to go ask. They were doing just the opposite of what God's word taught. When God said, love him above everything else, verse 38 says, the scribes like people's attention. They like praise. And the word like here in the original Greek can be translated as love or as find great pleasure in. So what brings the scribes pleasure? What do they love? What brings them the most joy? Jesus reveals that in an indictment against them. They don't love God. They don't love people. 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Are they glorifying God? Or are they drawing attention to themselves? That's what they love most. That's what brings them joy. Other people saying, look, there's one of the scribes. Hey, look, there's one of our leaders. Look at him. Look at how pious he is. Look at how great he is. Let's be like him. They're not glorifying God. They wore long flowing robes. This is just a photo. We don't have any Bible photos. You know that this is just a recreation, right? They wore long robes. They had special headdress. They stood out as they walked through the town. And everybody could see them coming. They had tassels on the corners of their robe to remind them to keep the law. They loved greetings in public. People would say, Rabbi, it's so good to see you. And they had formal greetings that would elevate them and make sure that everybody knew that this was someone special. They wrangled for the best seats in the house. At the synagogue, they made sure that they were sitting up front where everyone could see them. And at banquets or formal occasions in town, like a wedding, they made sure they were at the head table. They had a place of honor so that everyone would see and notice them. 
They loved the attention of men. They wanted it all for themselves. No glory for God. No focus on how thankful they were to God for the position that he gave them, how honored they were to serve in the temple. It was all about them. Jesus told his disciples that if you want to be first in God's kingdom, you should be a servant. You should be serving other people. Instead of looking for that place of prominence, you should be at the door taking coats or washing feet or helping someone bring out a table when you need extras. We have people like that in our church, and I'm so thankful that you have an eye for that. You're watching and you see, oh, there's not enough seats left. I'll go grab some. That's such a blessing to be a servant like that. Obviously, everyone can't go get the seat, so that's fine whoever gets up first. But are you just thinking about yourself or are you thinking about others? Jesus said, serve others. That's how you're greatest in God's kingdom. And verse 40 is probably the harshest indictment. They devour widows' houses. They eat them up. There's nothing left. And while the Bible doesn't give us specifics, we do know that widows were most vulnerable in the society. If they didn't have a husband anymore, there was no one to care for them and take care of their land. If they didn't have sons or children to take them in, they were totally on their own. They couldn't just go to a supermarket and buy everything they needed. They needed people in their lives. So for the scribes, for these religious leaders to devour their houses, that was truly despicable. God's word over and over again says how much God loves widows and orphans. And he tells us that is real religion. If you want to know what it's like to serve God, serve those who need the most. Don't take care of the doctors and the lawyers and give them the prominent seats. They're already well cared for. Take care of the ones that need it the most. We want to be a church that welcomes everyone. And we don't want to say, oh, we're so thankful to have you as a member because you can give a lot more. We want everyone here to hear the gospel because God has given every one of his believers a gift to share with the body. And while there's no specific record, as I said, telling us what it looked like for them to devour houses of the widows, some of the scholars speculated that it could have been excessive legal fees, that maybe after the husband passed away, the widow would go to the church, go to the scribe, the temple, and say, what do I do now? Can you help me with taking care of my family needs and taking care of these things? And perhaps the scribes were just charging double or triple, taking a lot of money from them. Maybe they were mismanaging their estates, acting as trustees. The scribes were not wealthy like the Sadducees. Remember, that was the wealthy group. So the scribes were just making whatever they could from the temple. So maybe they charged extra, graft. Maybe they even took the homes of the widows if they had debts that couldn't be paid. We don't know exactly, but Jesus said they devoured their houses. They took away their homes. So Jesus' final complaint about them is that their religion has nothing to do with sincerity before God. It was all just a public show, even the pretense of making long prayers. They stand up 
and they speak loudly, and they make sure everyone hears them praying eloquently in King James English. Wow, this guy really can pray. Or, this man is talking to God. To be blessed by hearing someone pray because they know God personally. And it's like having a conversation. It's like talking to a king. You still have honor and respect, but wow, they really know God. When they talk in their prayers, you can tell how much they love God and how much they believe. But the religious leaders just wanted everyone to hear them and make a show. Matthew's Gospel, chapter 23, our, one of our parallel passages, gives a lot more def, uh, definition and specifics to the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees. And in that chapter, if you want to look at it later, he lists seven woes, seven warnings against the scribes and the Pharisees. One of the examples of that extremism was when they had their spices, they tithed 10% of their spices. So imagine my basil plant on the back deck of my house, and I'm going to go count the leaves and count that there are 79 leaves, and then I'm going to take 7.9 leaves and bring them to temple as an offering. They're even tithing on dill and spices so that everybody knows they follow the letter of the law. And Jesus says, how about justice? How about mercy? How about faithfulness and loving the people that you're supposed to be serving instead of elevating yourselves? That's what worshiping God looks like. So do they give some or do they give all? In verse 41, Jesus sits down across from the treasury. So we have Herod's beautiful temple. It's a rebuilding of what Solomon built. And there is the treasury, the storehouse of the riches, the wealth of God's kingdom. And people brought in their offerings. This is in the women's court of the temple. We talked about that before when we were talking about the money changers, the outer court, the inner court of women, and then there's the men's court before finally into the Holy of Holies. So this area is accessible to all Jews. Gentiles are not allowed. But there are 13 treasury boxes, 13 chests where they collected the offerings. And they were called shofar chests. Remember the shofar, the ram's horn that they blew in the Old Testament? So in English, we would call it a trumpet chest because it was shaped like a horn. Dr. Guy would love that, to be able to drop offerings into a French horn-shaped treasury box. And that's just an, a possible recreation of it. Some people said it was inverted so that you were putting your money into the small end of the horn and you couldn't reach in and grab more, but this makes more sense to me. It's kind of like those games in the mall where you drop in the penny and you watch it go around and around and around and down the funnel till it finally falls in. So what do you think would happen when the wealthy people bring in a lot of money? What's it going to do when they drop it into that funnel? A lot of noise. It's going to clang, and you're going to hear all of those coins dropping in and say, wow, look at that guy. He just gave a lot. And it's out in public, right? There's 13 chests, and they all have different purposes, but six of them are free will. They're voluntary offerings. 
We talked about the temple tax that as every Jewish man came to worship, he had to pay that fee. But this is a free will offering. It's not required. And that's going to help people. It's going to help the worship of people in God's temple, but it's also going to help the poor. And this poor widow walks up with two small coins in her hand. Mark describes them as these two coins make up a penny. So that means they're half pennies, or as the Brits would say, a hay penny. Remember that from our song? Is it the figgy pudding? A hay penny will do? No, it's the other song. The, Chris, the goose is getting fat. Please put a hay penny in the old man's hat. Remember that? Okay, sorry. Aside. That's not in my notes. That's just extra stuff. So two of these coins make one penny, and Mark is just trying to describe to his mostly Gentile audience what these coins were because they weren't common. In Greek, they were called lepta, which means appeal like an apple peel. They were so thin, small, so small, so insignificant. And can you imagine the loud clanging noise they would make when you dropped them in? It would be like dropping our communion wafer, like nothing at all. No one would hear it. No one would notice it. And she has two. What would 10% of that be? She'd have to cut one of them into parts, right? Just to put in 10%. How much does she give? All of it. Not even half of it, but all of it. Imagine if she had put one of the two in. That's 50%. How many of you give 50% of your earnings? None of us can raise our hand for that. She gave all of it. And Jesus said, what you just saw displayed was the wealthy giving a small portion of what they have. They have so much money and they make a big show of dropping in some small percentage of it. And here's this poor widow with just two tiny coins. And she put in all of it. She gave more than anyone that you just saw making all that loud noise, dropping in all of their coins. Her gift is worth so much more because they gave out of their abundance and she gave all out of her little. I didn't make pie charts for this, but if you could picture those pie charts, it would be a very small sliver of the wealthy person's giving. And for the widow, it would be the whole pie. How many of you are hungry for pie now? Grape pie season is coming, right? Sorry, another aside. The widow had just two coins, and she gave it all. Who was she thinking about? She was thinking about God. She was thinking about other people and saying, yes, this is all I have, but someone must need this. God is calling me to give generously. And it's going to bless someone who she thinks is maybe even worse off than her. And in her silent prayer, as she gave everything, perhaps she was saying something to God like this. God, I love you. All I have is yours. Here's my heart. Here's my life. Everything. And that's what God is looking for. That is true worship. It's far greater 
than what the religious leaders, the hypocrites, were giving. Even though their coins amounted to more, God said, that is the gift that I desire. Your heart, your love for me, your love for other people, she gave it all. Matthew 6.21 says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Giving our time, giving our money, giving our energy, our very lives back to God is more about what we hold back than it is about what we give. So when you say, well, I gave a big gift today, the question is, well, how much did you keep for yourself? And that's what Jesus looked at. He said, this widow gave it all. Instead of thinking, how much did I give? How much did I keep for myself? As Jesus calls us to be his disciples, he says, I want you to be all in. And Peter said that, didn't we give up everything? Lord, didn't we leave our homes and our families behind? And he said, yes, and anyone who does that will be blessed. The sacrificial love that Jesus showed was giving his very life. He didn't hold anything back. He gave us everything so that we could live. Without his gift of dying on the cross, we would still be dead in our sins. We would be without hope. And unfortunately, that's where most of the world is today. Not knowing that this unbelievable gift is waiting for them to accept. Some of the principles that we can learn from the widow's gift, our hearts and our motives make all the difference when we give. Do we want our gift to be noticed and praised, or do we give joyfully when no one is looking? Do you give an amount that requires no faith at all? I don't know. What's in my pocket today? Yep, I could, I could throw that in. That's not going to really hurt me. Or do you trust God and say, God, I think you're calling me to, to give to this need, and I'm going to trust you to take care of my needs. Because God promises that he will supply our needs. doesn't say he's going to give us all of our wishes and all of our desires, but he's going to take care of our needs. So when we give, do we give faithfully and say, God, no matter what it is, you tell me what you want me to give and I'm going to trust you to take care of me. We're not interested in big gifts here at First Baptist Church. We're not interested in putting plaques all around the building and say, in honor of this person, in honor of that person, we want you to honor God with your gifts. God can do great things with tiny offerings. The great missions movement of the 19th and 20th century recognized that even though there were some big donors that there were some big people that stepped forward and gave a lot to those mission organizations, they realized that the money that sent more missionaries overseas, the money that sent the gospel to the middle of Africa and to far Asia, it came from poorer people who faithfully gave their pennies month after month. They said, Lord, we want to give this. We want to see missionaries go, and I'm going to commit to just giving this, and we'll trust you. For the rest. Everything will be revealed at the judgment seat of Christ. Jesus said, These hypocrites will receive the greater condemnation. They're going to be judged 
for their phoniness. They're going to be judged for their fake, useless worship. 1 Corinthians 3 tells us that believers' work is going to be tested by fire. This is believers. We're not going to go through the fire, but our works are going to go through the fire. And it said, whatever we did just for show, just for our own motives, is going to be like wood and hay, and it's going to burn up in that purifying fire like lickety-split. There's a word you haven't heard in a while, right? It's going to go lickety-split. But the gold, the gems, the things that you did for God will pass through that fire and they will be there on the other side and we can lay them down at the feet of Jesus. That's what lasts for eternity. The things we do, not thinking of ourselves, but loving God and loving others. God values the giver more than the gift. He owns the cattle on a thousand hills. He owns everything. He doesn't need a single penny from us. Do you think God's plan, his kingdom, isn't going to go forth whether I reach into my pocket or not? People try to guilt people into that at church and say, well, if you don't do this, you know, it's not going to happen. God doesn't need me. He doesn't need any of us. But when we give generously, when we give sacrificially, our hearts change. We see God providing for people. We see his love, and we see that when all of us do something, even if it's small, he does great things with it. He takes our small gifts and he multiplies them. When our hearts are right, when we're giving out of love and thankfulness. So the reminder again is that we worship God properly when we sacrificially love him and love others more than ourselves. There is coffee downstairs. There are some delicious cupcakes, so I want to give you a chance to enjoy them. A couple of quick takeaways. Beware of pride. Without recognizing your need for a Savior, you will never enter heaven. If you think you're a good person and God should be happy with you, then you haven't read the Bible. The Bible says we are all sinners and all of our works are like filthy rags. Anything we do in and of ourselves is worthless before a holy and perfect God. But Jesus died on the cross to pay for my sins and he chooses to save us. He offers that gift of salvation and we can know him and have peace with him here on earth and we can have eternity with him forever. But pride will keep you from entering the kingdom. Pride kept Alfred from admitting that he wasn't a good person, right? And he finally broke down and said, I've done wrong things. I'm a sinner. I need to be saved. That's what God is looking for, a humble heart. And then the rest of our lives, even as Christians, pride still gets in the way of so many things, causes us to sin again and again. Be careful that you don't abuse power. Your position at work, your position even here at church, leading a ministry. Are you bossy and want everything to be done your way? Guilty. Or are you happy to see other people serve and welcome them? Don't abuse your power and position. Are you humble and self-sacrificing in your service? Are you looking for the praise and recognition of people? Are you willing to be part of a ministry as long as you can be in charge? Or are you willing to be the person 
who takes the trash out to the garage? Are you the willing to be the person that picks up after things and sets up the chairs when nobody's even here? Do you want to just serve because you know that what you're doing is going to help people grow in grace and knowledge of Jesus Christ? That's what we get to do together as a church body. Are you committed to God's kingdom? Are you giving sacrificially and regularly? If you didn't know it, our church is financially independent. There's no greater group that says, oh, you had a bad month, here's an extra, extra 10000 to make sure you cover your expenses. There's nothing besides the people in this room. And maybe some of our retirees who still send gifts and support our church. I don't talk about money a lot. And if you've been here for a long time, you probably have heard me speak of it very little. But when it's in the scripture, I'm going to preach about it. So what did Jesus say was important to do? To give sacrificially, to trust God, to give humbly. Are you doing that? If you're a newer believer, this is all weird. Like, I'm going to give a percent of my pay all the time. The tithe is a biblical concept, but it's not a New Testament command. It's just the idea that Paul said, you should give as you have been blessed. So if you have little, give a portion of that. If you have a lot and you can give a greater portion, do that. Thinking back to that pie chart, how we spend our time and our money, how much of it is about me and how much of it is about God's kingdom. I hope that as missionaries come to our church, you get excited about them and you say, can I support you individually too? Even if our church takes you on, I'd like to be part of your team because then you'll be praying for them. You'll be invested in their ministry. I hope you do that. And I hope that if you give infrequently now that you say, God, help me trust you to give regularly. And then as you impress on my heart, whatever that amount is, I don't know how much you give. None of the leaders in the church know how much you give. We have one person who tracks that just so you can get a tax statement. So it is not common knowledge. I don't look out and see dollar signs as I look at you this morning. And I'm so thankful for that. I don't have to think about who should I be especially nice to because they're a really good giver. And who, do I have, who can I just like dismiss? I don't want to dismiss anybody. Because God said that's not what's important. God changes our hearts. He changes our desires when we recognize that everything we have comes from him. We're stewards, like the steward of Gondor. We're not the king. We're not the one in charge. We just are looking after what he's given us. And Jesus said, look after my church. He said to pastors, look after the sheep that are in your flock. So are we being good stewards of what he's given us? The time, the money, the talents, the abilities you have? How many of them are you saying, God, use this however you can. I want you to be glorified in my life. The Bible says nothing about wealth and prosperity for Christians. You're never going to hear that message here unless we're saying, don't do that. Because Jesus said, your life as a follower of Jesus is going to be hard. You're going to have trials and tribulations. You're not going to be necessarily the wealthiest people. You're not going to have all of the wishes and desires of your heart because God, your Father, loves you too much to spoil you. 
Parents and grandparents, you know what spoiling does to children. Why would God do that to us? To cause us to think that we have everything we need and more than everybody else. He does tell us that we should give cheerfully. We should do it willingly. And he loves that. The passage that Bradley read for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 says we should give according to what we have. Those blessed with more can give more. And Jesus pointed out always we should be trusting him and we should give generously, trusting God to take care of our needs. So in this passage, I didn't tell you to be poor like the widow. I didn't tell you to give 100% of everything you have. But you give what God has called you to give. We worship God when we sacrificially love him and we love others most. One way that you can sacrificially love others is by encouraging them through discipleship. So something I would call you to do next week from 5 to 8 this week here downstairs in the fellowship hall, we're going to have some video conferences about discipleship and counseling. How can you love people in your family? How can you love others in the church? How can you encourage people with God's word? This conference is going to be talking about God's image. What does it mean that we're made in his image? And our young people are struggling with this so much today. They don't know what being made in God's image looks like. So if you want to love other people, this is a great way to be equipped for it. It's free. It's from five to eight. So if you think, I normally eat in that time. Number one, you could bring your food with you. We'll have some coffee and some snacks. Or you could say, I'm going to give up that meal and I think this is important. Do whatever is God is calling you to do. Another thing you can do just really quickly is you can serve and help out with our trunk or treat. That's out there. The missions luncheon coming up is out there. Every time we have sign-up sheets, you be the first person to get your name on there because you want to serve the body. It's an opportunity for you to love other people. Mark's going to come. We're going to close in a song. And Jake is not here. He's down with the kids. But He's got a great class for us this morning for the adults. So grab your coffee, grab your cupcake, go right into the room. Let him start at 11. Don't blame me for being late. (laughs) Just get there so that you can enjoy gospel treason. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this joyful day that we could come together. We could hear the great news of Alfred's salvation. Thank you, Lord, for that blessing. Thank you that we could remember your sacrifice on the cross as we celebrate communion each month. Thank you, God, for loving us more than anything, that you would be willing to give up your life, Jesus. Lord, help us to be generous and to love you back with everything we have, all that we are. Help us to be cheerful givers of our time, of our gifts and talents, of our money, of our homes, of all that we are and all that you've given us. Help us to be good stewards and give back to you. Now to God the Father, who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power of the Holy Spirit at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus the Son throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen.